Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 41. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 4 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Leaky Cauldron. Or, as we like to call it, prioritize not dying. Uh, Speaking of Harry prioritizing not dying, uh, we open up Harry basically living his life at the Leaky Cauldron in Diagon Alley, and Harry's just kind of able for the first time to do whatever he wants when he wants and it kind of reminds me when you first go away to school and you live in like the dorms and it's like your first time not living under your parents roof so you just wake up when you want you have breakfast when you want you just do whatever you want no one's telling you what to do and harry's just kind of living that right now but he's only 13 yeah it kind of feels like doing whatever you want whenever you want would feel like crazy and freeing for any child. But considering that Harry was a restricted and abused child, that is such a huge change. Yeah. One of the things Harry loves doing is people watching, which is really funny, especially at the Leaky Cauldron. He comments on a few different people, but this is also one of my favorite things to do, especially when you're in like a different environment. Yeah, just look at who's around you and imagine their lives. One of the people he notices is a hag. And I'm wondering, like, what exactly is a hag? Because for me, a hag is like an old, boil-faced, like, spooky, not very social, living in the woods kind of witch. And I'm wondering, like, is that like a derogatory word in the wizarding world, hag? Because it seems kind of offensive. Yeah, the way they always viewed it, I always viewed it as, like, a different kind of species of person, which is weird. Because I do remember, I think they reflect it it being like he ran into a hag when he was in Nocturne Alley in the last book, but they never really emphasize like what exactly it is. Feels like it's some type of witch in my mind. Yeah. Some kind of like just it seems offensive. I was offended. I was like, maybe it's just an older witch, you know? She doesn't care about cosmetics. She's here to have a good time. Stop judging her, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> is that the one that's eating like raw liver though? Oh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people eat raw meat all the time. It's like a rich people thing, tartar. So they talk about how one of the other things Harry's doing besides people watching is actually getting his summer homework done. And it is so refreshing to hear that the that Florian, who runs the ice cream parlor, is actually helping Harry with his homework. Like, how many times have I said it's so unfair that Harry can't get help with his homework over the summer? And finally, he's found someone who's willing to help him do his goddamn homework i'm so happy for him (laughs) it's also interesting because they talk about how the author i suppose implies that florian has experience and knowledge on the witch trials and it makes me wonder like was he there or did he just study them like was it an area of interest he studied academically we never really get information about how old florian is but i do have some really fun backstory on Florian Fortescue. Oh, go on. So we know that he is the owner of the ice cream parlor, and he knows about, about wizard history based on just Harry's experience with him in this book. And in Half-Blood Prince, it was, Diagon Alley had changed a lot, and it was referenced that Florian was, like, abducted and his shop's all messed up, so it was rumored that he was abducted by, like, Death Eaters and stuff. Ooh. And this was originally supposed to be a big plot point that was supposed to be continued into Deathly Hollows. Apparently, Florian was supposed to be the one giving Harry the clues he needed, but the Deathly Hollows, like about, especially I think it was the Elder Wand and Ravenclaw's Diadem. 
And I guess the author changed it because it didn't really make, it got too confusing, I think, for the story. So she changed it to Phineas Nigelis giving clues and then also the gray lady about the Rivenglet diagram because it worked better for the story flow. Mm. So basically, Florian just ended up like dying or being abducted in the Hapblood Prince for no reason. Aww, poor guy. But it's cool seeing like these little things where it was kind of like an intentional setup that just didn't pan out. Yeah. Most things I think do pan out in this. It's pretty clearly like organized absolutely with what goes is going to like come back in later books but this is one of them that just kind of it was a setup for a character that didn't really happen nothing really happened for him kind of how i feel about aunt marge they gave us a lot of back or a lot of information on a character and then they just sort of never became relevant again it's interesting though I also love that Florian gives Harry free Sundays every half hour. Although I think that every half hours may be a little crazy. Like he's gonna get so many cavities. Just in time's sake, like I can inhale a Sunday in half an hour when I was 13. Oh, for sure. But then could you immediately have another Sunday when that half an hour's over? And then maybe have another Sunday the next, like... It just feels like a lot. Harry's a growing boy. Free Sundays is one thing. Free Sundays every half hour. Like his teeth are going to fall out. I also wonder, because it seems like Florian is really happy having Harry there. And I feel like there's a number of reasons why that could be. I mean, one is just that he's a nice guy. He's, You know, Harry's an orphan. It's dangerous times. Good to have him around. It could also be that Dumbledore was like, hey, babysit Harry Potter while he's in town. Yeah. He's important. Thank you. Alternatively, Harry could just be good, like, promotion for the ice cream shop. Like, (laughs) good for business. Famous boy wizard, hero of the people, loves our Sundays. Look at him. He eats them nonstop. (laughs) And it's just, like, self-promotion, encouraging customers to come in and stick around. Yeah. I do think it's probably a bit of both. Because I do think either Fudge or probably Dumbledore through Fudge asked all, like, the shop owners to keep an eye on Harry because he's going to be there until he starts school. And also, I think that everyone's just excited having Harry there because he's so famous and obviously they get to meet him but also I'm sure it does well for business just him being around there yeah I mean like to be fair if I walked by an ice cream parlor and like Taylor Swift was in there I'd be like I could have an ice cream every half hour like it so one of the things Harry mentions about is just like all like the shopping and like window shopping he's doing and I kind of mentioned this last episode but Harry really should have had a financial advisor in place Mm -hmm. or at least like have his money in a trust that's usually what happens when you have parents die is like there's a a trust set up to you for you yeah your parents and oh there's like an executor of that trust that's an adult yeah like a lawyer or something that's an adult that like only lets you access a certain amount of money until you're of age and i have in my notes that it should have been an adult not dumbledore yes who should oversee the money harry had a good adult it's just very lucky that harry had so much self-restraint not to just blow money because i do feel like sometimes when you grow up very poor and frugal and you finally get to access money it's just very quickly to burn through it like it happens a lot like i mean harry on the train his first year with all the sweets from the trolley, right? I think that's like the biggest blow he did, but he's talking here about like big boy purchases. Like he finds the firebolt and there's just like, I think he mentions like a gold astronomy set. Yeah, all these fancy things. Yeah, just like things that obviously would be very expensive, but he's telling himself like, oh, I have seven more years. I have a few more years of school. I need to like, I don't need this. But like most 13 year olds wouldn't be able to do that. No, they'd be buying it. I'd have been buying it if I had a vault full of money. So the one thing Harry is like really like, interested in this of course the firebolt the new racing broom that he's like goes and he looks at it every day 
And it kind of, there's some foreshadowing at a little bit because uh, what I think the store owner says that the Irish Quidditch team had put in an order for them. And we do get to see the Irish Quidditch team play in the World Cup in the next book, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And we know what they're flying. And there's also some foreshadowing where Harry tells himself he doesn't need a new broom because he has a broom that's like super great and it's never failed him, which of course gets destroyed this year. (laughs) Poor Harry. He's so responsible about it. He's like, mine is fine. I don't need a new one. And then he needs a new one and his is not fine. Yeah, I was not that responsible at 13. Like, I think I was pretty, I'm a pretty frugal person, but like there was, if there were certain things that I really wanted, I'm just like, give it to me. Yeah, it's, it's, we're all id when we're little. We want what we want and we want it immediately. Instant gratification. It's it's like your child. But Harry goes and does his school shopping. And the one thing I, we kind of figure out what, why Harry, gave him the monster book of monsters which turns out to be on the course list yeah but harry goes to the shop assistant the shop assistant doesn't even ask him like what books he needs or look at the list he just is like get out of the way i can get you this book and harry's like wait i don't need it this is an elective class like not every student's gonna need one I feel like maybe he knows a lot of like third years select that class. So he knows it's really common and he knows Harry Potter is a third year because you know what year Harry Potter's in. He's super famous. And so I feel like that on top of maybe just being like a worst case scenario kind of person, he's like, worst case scenario, every third year needs this book. So he's just like, this is my life now. Like, yeah, I do think that he's definitely just kind of like preparing himself for a battle, which is true. Poor guy. Terrible book to stalk. But I'm also thinking when I think about care of magical creatures being an elective it probably should be a prop like a class you at least have to take for a few years just for like basics just for surviving in the wizarding world like you come across a dragon and you're like those look friendly let me pat it yeah you should know what those are like i know they do know some creatures through other classes but i do think like knowing how to like take care of like wildlife and other creatures is probably a good base knowledge so harry's also taking divination divination so harry goes to where all the books are and he's looking at everything and he sees a book that's about death omens and he's kind of like eerily drawn towards it, which is kind of foreshadowing about like what his class is going to be like. But also death. It's foreshadowing Harry's death. Harry's going to die. <laughs> he only dies a little. It's fine. One of my favorite like just little like random like tidbits is that Harry um, comes across Neville and his grandma together. And I think the grandma's telling Neville off for something. And Harry kind of is like, I'm, I hope she doesn't find out that I tried to like take her son's identity or current son's identity. Oh, yeah, impersonate him while being on the lamb from the law. <laughs> Harry just being scared of Neville's grand is just so funny. There's something about like... All these brave wizards being afraid of Neville's grandmother that makes me so happy. Like, she's a formidable person, you know, that can strike fear into the hearts of the bravest of men and boys and everyone. And I'm like, yes. Moving along the chapter, the Weasleys are finally here, finally. We get some good Weasley content. So they have come to stay at the League of Cauldron as well, as as Ron tells Harry, that, like, they're staying overnight and they're going to take Harry with them to catch the train tomorrow and Hermione's staying as well so that was interesting that the Weasleys are staying which I would assume is what like either Dumbledore or Fudge asked Mr. Weasley to do yeah babysit Harry Potter to keep an eye to keep an eye on him which Mr. Weasley kind of says it's also interesting that Hermione's staying because I feel like in the later books we really get a pull Hermione really pulls away from her parents and like the muggle world and is more it's like fully immersed in the wizarding world yeah like it could potentially be her last day to spend dinner time with her family and she's instead spending it with the Weasleys yeah so it's just like we kind of get that pull like already happening it must be hard to be her parents you know because she's like, del- I mean, she's a pain in the ass, but she's also like, they're very proud of her. She's smart. She's, 
you know, and they don't get to necessarily show her off as much as they would like as proud parents or just like get to know her. Especially because she's an only child as well. Like, obviously, they care about her a lot. I don't know if like maybe because she was pretentious and very smart early on, they sort of knew that like her ambition and her like ability to learn would always like lead to them like her growing up quickly like maybe they sort of came to terms early on they're like she's really smart she might even do college a few years early like she could skip the final years of two years of high school and go away to college so like they'd already started emotionally preparing themselves for like our super smart gifted child we don't want to let her be held back academically by our own desires to have her around but also it's like just I think in Europe especially in the UK boarding school is a lot more prominent so it's not unusual for parents to be like yeah we don't see our kid most of the months but that's fine i do think it's more like upper class boarding school is probably a bit more uh yeah prevalent yeah i mean both her parents are dentists so there's probably a chance that even if she didn't get into hogwarts she might have gone away like they probably have their own dental business and are like stuck in a certain place and hermione seems like the type that if she weren't magical would still not be going to her local school. She'd be going to a special school that has like an advanced sciences program. Yeah. Like whether it be scholarship or not, I think she always had like special academics in her future. So they probably just came to terms with that. Yeah. Maybe they travel a lot, you know, Hermione's gone. Well, it just seemed like they do a lot of like holidays, like the, the holidays that she does spend with and they're always doing something. Like. Yeah. So it's like they actually like their daughter and they want to spend time with her, but they also are willing to accept that they don't want to hold her back from her potential. It'd be interesting to see. I've seen a lot of like fan theories, but like Hermione, like just stops telling her parents certain things about the wizarding world, like really early on, because I think from like Goblet of Fire, like onwards she rarely spends time with her parents like during the holidays she's usually always with harry and ron yeah it'd be interesting it would be and also just like what would her and ron's wedding be like her family <laughs> like what is it like even just like inviting the grangers to the weasley house for like a barbecue that's got to be absolutely wild right because they're allowed to know about the magic world because of the parents of a wizard but like that's gonna be unruly like imagine Arthur Weasley having dinner with a muggle family. Probably the best day of his life. Hermione is his favorite daughter-in-law. <laughs> well, moving on, we have um, Ron is very concerned about Scabber. Scabber is just not doing well after Egypt and everything. And so he goes to, I guess it's kind of like a pet store, but also kind of like a vet. Yeah, it makes sense. That I mean, it's a small town. So the person who sells the, and recommends pet care products probably also knows things about pet health yeah but he gives her over to the woman running the store and i was wondering like obviously we find out that stick gabbers is peter pettigrew in his animagus form and i'm wondering would like a person specializing in like magical creature care not be able to tell that from a regular animal well i kind of think that maybe it's not like a not necessarily like a specialized vet person that would work at a pet shop. It's someone who has a, more knowledge on those type of domesticated magical creatures than most. And certainly like specialized in care of magical creatures in school. But I feel like it's a different level of specialization. Like sort of like with humans where you can go see your general practitioner. But if they don't know what's wrong with you, they can say it's probably your stomach and send you to the stomach doctor or it's probably your brain and send you to the brain doctor. So like they have more of like a general practitioner level of knowledge. So they could be like, yeah, he seems unwell. It's probably this. Try this. Yeah. Like a like just going to the pharmacist saying I have the sniffles and asking what they recommend. But for your pet rather than going to 
the hospital. Yeah, but she's kind of very blunt. Like, Ron's here telling her of this, like, his pet, and he's had it for years. It's been in his family for years. She's like, wow, how is he not dead? Yeah, she's like, it's basically on its last legs. But here, if you want to replace it, we're... Rat's still alive and like right there. She's like, replace it with one of these ones. It's like when you're going to put down your pet and they're like, hey, you want to replace it with this puppy? Like, no, I love my, yeah. I'm kind of like devastated here right now. Yeah. I think they're a little bit a business person. They probably make the most money from the sales of pets. That's why it makes me think that it was more of a pet store than like, like a kind of like an animal vet place. It's a pet store, but they have more knowledge than your general Joe Schmo when it comes to like pets. So I guess... They didn't go to Wizard University for pet veterinary. They went to, you know, they they graduated top of their class in care of creatures, and now they have a pet shop. It's another job to add to our list of wizard jobs, That's though. That's true. So while Ron's, like, kind of, like, you know, figuring out what to do with scabbers, he is attacked by this giant ginger orange monster, which turns out to be Crookshanks. I'm so happy we were introducing Crookshanks. I love him. Yeah. I always wonder, did Crookshanks know something was off about scabbers? You know, because he attacked Scabbers specifically. I think it's like, I don't know if it's canon, but I know it was rumored that Crookshank wasn't wasn't completely 100% cat and he had a bit of like a magical creature in him. Oh yeah, the, um, oh, what are they called? Kneezel. Kneezel, yeah. And then I also think Sirius confirms like later on in the series that Crookshank, he was able to like communicate, I guess when he was in his dog form, that Crookshanks knew there was something, I don't know if they knew that it was like- Something up a person but it knew that scabbers was there's something wrong with it so i think it's just like it's instincts that like this thing is like unusual bad vibes <laughs> got some bad vibes about this thing but then my question is if kirkshanks is only a jerk to scabbers specifically because he knows there's something up with him why did no one else buy kirkshanks they say he'd been there for years or Crookshanks. Harry describes him as, as an ugly cat, and I know some people prefer like cute cats. And always like it's, it's just kind of like in real life, like people don't adopt like older cats; they prefer to adopt like kittens and stuff. And the fact that like Crookshanks has a personality, like we know he, he's he's kind of grumpy and he's just very particular about who he likes. Like I think he only really gets on with Hermione in the book, and then Harry and Ron he just kind of tolerates. Rescue pets, everyone. Adopt, don't shop. That's why I love Hermione adopting Crookshanks. Like adopting. The unadoptable is what I'm trying to say. I do think Hermione is, she's generally considers herself an underdog. And I just think she could feel some of like herself and corrections of just not being wanted. Yeah. She's also kind of fluffy. So I feel like she's like me. (laughs) Yeah. I also thought there was maybe some kind of foreshadowing to Hermione having feelings for Ron with Crookshanks because there is some comparison to Ron and Crookshanks where they're they're big ginger, kind of grumpy. I know Ron considers himself like not really loved or like second best. And I know that Crookshanks is kind of seen seen as like not really a loved cat. And it just kind of, it's kind of cute. (laughs) She she bought a replacement for Ron. He wasn't mature enough. So she got a cat. Well, she, I feel like it's like, I don't know if they, if Hermione's aware of her feelings at this point. I know Ron, it doesn't, I don't think Ron considers his feelings to later, but I don't think Hermione's considered her feelings, but I just might be the subconscious that she reaches towards this big ginger cat. So back at the Leaky Cauldron, Mr. Weasley is talking about Sirius Black to like Harry and everyone. And Ron's first thought is that, oh, we should try and catch him. There's probably reward money. Just like the way the Weasley kids view finances is so like, it's not great. No, no, it's not. Especially because like Ron is so happy with like, they, he's finally got like his first taste of like being able just to get 
things. Like, it's things that he needs. Like, he got a new wand, which he needed. But just able to get something new is so, like, great to him. He's like, I don't want to lose this. Like, we need, we need to work. He's had a taste of the high life. Yeah, like, we need to work to keep this. But it's just, like, that shouldn't be a child's, like, responsibility. Ron wants to have more money, but his thought isn't like, oh, I could get a just job over the summer to have some more money. It's like, what's one quick, fast, and exciting thing I can do to make a bunch of money? Because he's still so, like, primarily id, you know? He's still... It just doesn't have the forethought to be like, I could put in a little bit of work consistently over time and get a little bit of money build up over time. He's like, no, I'll do one big extravagant thing and then just have all the money, right? It's like lottery winning is how they see money. Yeah, it's interesting to see like how all of the Weasley children, like obviously they're all very insecure about like their, I guess, financial standing and they all kind of view money differently but it's all like that's the way they try to make money too like percy's very ambitious which could be part we talked about it it's partly due to the fact that like they are very financially insecure and so he wants to be like have a really really great job so he'll be financially secure and the twins obviously are just about making money out of something they're really passionate about which ends up working out and then ron's i think ron's probably the most very insecure because he has like pretty wealthy friends like compared to harry he's just it's always there and we don't really see much about Jenny, but we do know like a bit about how she kind of complains about always getting secondhand stuff. And they're all very aware of it. They definitely do all handle it very differently, though. Like Ron, it's like Ron complains about not having money and wants to have money. But you never see Ron actually doing something to improve, to make his money. But the twins are like in school, still students have a business that they're running. Like Percy's already planning three steps ahead, looking at it like... It seems like they'd view it very, very, they all have the same issue fundamentally, but they look at it differently where like Ron just tries not to think about it and then wants things and then thinks about it. And it's like, don't, don't think about it. Yeah. It's like, I wish I had. And it seems like the twins and Percy are all more proactive about, I wish I had it. Therefore, I should work towards getting it. I think also like Percy and the twins have that in common where they are ambitious in their own ways. Like the twins create this joke shop more i don't know if it's really to make money but it's because it's that's their passion and that's what they've always wanted to do where purse is kind of ambitious where he wants power and like success and stuff and then with that comes money where ron doesn't really have that he just wants money but he he doesn't really have like a passion or anything to like really work towards yeah he wouldn't yeah he doesn't have that path i think it's a bit too immature and a bit too young he doesn't really get like the like the need to do something yet yeah. And speaking of want, <laughs> they sit down to have a nice meal at the Leaky Cauldron, which I have always pictured as kind of like a low cost inn, a little bit rickety. It's called Leaky, so maybe not the newest building. And like pub style, you know, like in my mind, fries, burgers, maybe soups, because it's British and not Canadian America. Lots of soups, you know, chili type things. And they're sitting down to a five course meal. And that sounds really fancy to me. A five-course meal at the Leaky Cauldron. Yeah, I always thought it was like a pub, too, because it's just like an inn, basically. Like a breakfast, like a inn. Yeah, like roast potatoes, shepherd's pie, pubby food, not like... I could see them maybe having just like, so like it's five, so what they'd have like an appetizer, maybe a soup and salad, their main, and then... I don't know, like dessert? I can't think of a fifth thing. I mean, appetizers always seem kind of fancy to me. I mean, like pub appetizers, I guess, like nachos. But like, yeah, I guess appetizer. It's usually soup or salad as a side. I don't know. I feel like maybe they did it like a five-course meal just because um, 
for Harry because we know that Tom was pretty excited that Harry was staying in his pub and everything. And oh, so he pulled out all the stops, like a nice big uh, send off for um, them going away to school. Yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes actually was when uh, Harry meets the rest of the Weasleys at the pub, and Percy's like super pompous, like "Hello, Harry, lovely to see you," and it's like giving out his hand to sh- shake. And then Fred and George are like, lovely to see you, Harry. Simply smashing. Good chap. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the, one of my favorite interactions. It's so funny. Oh, they're such jerks sometimes. I also love like the offhand thing where Fred and George tell Harry that they tried to shut Percy in a pyramid. <laughs> and I'm like, I get sibling banter. Like to this point, like, Fred and George and Percy obviously are the most, the siblings that, like, butt heads the most. Yeah. But it's been very much in, like, a sibling way where we know they still kind of care about each other. But now it's kind of, like, moving towards that they really don't get on. Mm-hmm. And there's not really that sibling love in there. Like, they tried to lock him in a pyramid. That's not really, like, a, a funny joke thing. I mean, I feel like we're picturing it as scary and terrifying and dangerous. But in their mind, it's just, like... We're going to have lunch without Percy. It's going to be great. And then mom will go back and get him. Yeah, I just feel like being shut in a pyramid doesn't sound fun. Or it sounds a bit dangerous. I mean, it kind of sounds fun to me. I think I would like it. I feel bad for Percy more now listening to not so much the twins being jerks and making fun of him. Because I'm like, yeah, they're siblings. They do that. It's things like they talk about how everyone but Percy and Molly laughed when Fred and George made fun of Percy and called him like said HB stood for humongous big head and not head boy. And it's like everybody except for Molly and Percy laughed. And like Molly's his mom and she loves him, but like his dad is laughing. All of his other siblings are laughing. And like, this is something he's really proud of and he's worked really hard for. And to some extent, I'm sure he thought was going to get him a little bit of like attention and appreciation from his parents. Like, we're so proud of you, Percy. You worked so hard for this. And instead, the general consensus is, ha ha, loser, let's make fun of you. And like, that's got to be so hard. I do think it's like the fine line because I think growing up with siblings, like we can really like, like sometimes family dinner is like, you're, you're, teasing each other you're roasting each other you're, you're, but it's it's always supposed to be playful at heart and back and forth but i do feel like because percy's not happy about it it kind of like sometimes those things can rub deep percy's probably feeling like like his siblings obviously don't respect him as, and his dad probably doesn't like understand him like you said like i feel like his ambition in getting all these accolades is, is for attention like he wants them to pay attention to him and they're not giving him that molly's barely barely even like defending him like she's not laughing at it but she's not really like that's got to be really hard for percy who worked hard for that to get the opposite of positive reinforcement yeah i do feel that like molly's usually the first person to like um tell this everyone off for picking on percy but i also think it kind of goes the wrong way because she's telling off Fred and George for teasing Percy, but she's also like, you should be more like Percy, which obviously doesn't help the relationship. And builds up more resentment. But it kind of feels like in situations like this, this becomes an unhealthy and a bad interaction when I when they're all ganging up on sort of just Percy. I feel like there's, for a healthier interaction, there should be a bit more give and take. Like they're just all dumping on Percy. I feel like we should have had someone else at that table say like, yeah, but you guys could never be head boy. Or like, you guys are going to sure regret making fun of Percy when he has to bail you out of prison one day. Like, you know, I'm sure he's going to remember that when you ask to borrow his old notes for care of magical creatures or whatever. You know what I mean? I feel like 
the fact that like they're just piling it on Percy and he's not really giving it back. And even if he were giving it back, I don't know if anyone would like partake on Percy's side. Like it's really lopsided. Yeah, it kind of really already shows the breakdown where like Percy's just the butt of the joke at all the time. Yeah. And you can't really blame him for kind of like not wanting to be a part of that anymore. Really getting mad at his family because they don't respect him and like he doesn't feel like loved. No. So he becomes one of those people who's like focuses on work and work becomes where he gets all of his like validation and support and like respect and so that's what he prioritizes yeah and he's not gonna give that up for anyone it's like it sucks that he turns his back on his family but it's also kind of like his family kind of turned their back on him especially during like his really prime time like growing years his formative teenage years when he accomplishes something that they should be really proud of him for yeah yeah, but moving up from, from uh, sibling stuff, um, I do think that Percy exposing Ron for not having packed yet is such classic sibling behavior, especially from an older sibling. As an older sibling, I can relate where like my brother or sister didn't do something and you just being like, I did it. So-and-so didn't do it. Classic. Just getting them in kind of trouble and Ron's super pissed about it. And I'm like, classic siblings. So you always get like those siblings in media where they don't really feel like siblings because they're too nice to each other. And I'm like, no, this is classic sibling behavior where you're exposing your siblings for not doing something. I think it's a little sad regarding Fred and George again. They took Percy's badge and Percy's really upset and he's looking for it again. Fred and George are letting Ron take the fall and Percy's like really mad at Ron. Like, where is it? Give it back to me. Why? And Fred and George are in the hallway snickering. And I'm like, it definitely kind of shows that Fred and George are a team and they don't really like, they kind of go against all their other siblings because like Ron obviously looks up to the twins a lot and like they're letting him take the fall for something that's not his fault. Yeah, Percy's really upset and they think that's funny. And then Ron is being accused and that probably stresses him out and that's funny. And it's, I mean, they're like, they're, 15 so obviously this is 15 year old level stuff and this situation wouldn't be as serious if it wasn't directly after them all making fun of him for having gotten the head boy badge in the first place but on top of it it's kind of like they do bully him like we always think of them as and they're great and they're funny and they're wonderful characters and they're good guys they're on the team of good but they definitely bully percy and most people just put up with it and I think at a certain point when you have that many siblings in that big a family and everyone lets those two bully Percy it sort of stops being like a normal amount of sibling bullying and it starts being not cool yeah it really starts unpacking like the relationship and like the the threads that kind of bond you together and again I think it is like you said Miss Weasley encourages those two to be more like Percy which makes them push back more at Percy so it's like everyone's kind of at fault for it so when Harry is going to get Ron's rat tonic because Percy bans Ron from leaving the the room until he finds the head boy badge or whatever he overhears Mr. Weasley and Mrs. Weasley arguing about Harry and so we find out that Sirius has escaped to come after Harry and kill him Mm-hmm. And I, I do find it, it Mr. Weasley talks about that uh, Sirius kept saying in his sleep, he's at Hogwarts, which is really cool because that comes back later and it's a complete miscommunication. Yeah. And at the end of the chapter, Harry's just kind of like, you know what? I don't care that Sirius Black is after me. Voldemort's already after me and he's like a huge murderer. All I really want to do is go to Hogsmeade. And this sucks because now I won't be able to go probably. Yeah, that sort of comes into what I wanted to talk about, which really is how these books really are written to cater to a very specific audience and the original audience of each book is children the age of harry in each book so like you can really feel how authentically 13 years old he is like you can really feel the maturity content sort of changing and how harry's priorities really coincide with relatable ones to that age group 
So it means that certain things made a lot more sense to me as a reader when I was that age, that looking back on it now, they make less sense to me. So like in this case, again, he's 13 years old and he's not concerned that a murderer is after him. He's concerned that he can't go on a field trip. And I can 100% see that being something that I, at 13 year old, would be more concerned about. I do think I probably cared more about that, a Cogsmeade stuff when I was 13 than I do now. Yeah, when you're younger and like you're sick and you can't go to something you want to go to and like the priority isn't, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I'm unwell, I should stay home. It's like, but I wanted to do the thing. It's such a like, you seek up good and fun and you sort of deprioritize other things when you're younger and it's really well done. And I feel like there are a lot of really good examples of how Harry sort of ages with the reader but a lot of the things I read back then I didn't see as issues like I didn't realize that there was anything wrong with Harry's priorities like I I too would have like passed over the idea of something being dangerous because I'm like meh that's something like the adults will concern themselves with my overall safety I'm a child that's not really my problem and I would also kind of be like meh you know Voldemort is the big bad and he didn't kill me. So not too concerned about some dude that might work for him. And like, I wanted to go on the trip. That's the issue. That's like my primary concern and it's shitty. (laughs) But now as an adult, you really look at it and you're like, wow, not dying really needs to be my priority. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of show Harry's growth as a person as like each book he gets more, his, his focus on certain things changes. As like artists do, like we look back at a lot of these, especially the earlier books, and we're like, this is a, like a red flag. Yeah. When we were kids, like you don't you don't pick up on that stuff because you don't have the the growth or like the experience to relate to it. And so you understand when you're that age how Harry didn't pick up on it. And now that we're this age looking at it, we not only can understand how he didn't pick up on it, but we can understand now that as an adult, he would pick up on it. And it like makes it easier. I feel like it allows us as readers to be more sympathetic for some of the stupider thought processes and decisions made by the Golden Trio, knowing that like when we at that age read it, we didn't think it was a stupid idea. It, it, it just makes it so much easier to sympathize and understand their thought process. Yeah, definitely. Even though we know what's wrong with it now. We've talked about this a bit when we first started the podcast. There was there was a lot of talk about how uh, Warner Brothers had gotten the rights for um, Harry Potter TV shows. And some of those have kind of come into fruition. We had like the 20th anniversary special. And then we also had that game show trivia show. But now there's talks like it's it's a very clear Harry Potter TV show project. And um, it looks like it's actually going to start like getting optioned and there's a lot of articles out now that apparently they're in talks with the author on getting the show kind of done because she has all the rights to the harry potter stuff and she can't they can't do anything without her so it's likely she'll be a producer on that project and it looks like from all the stuff i can see online is that the tv show looks like it would do a similar format to the disney plus percy jackson series which if you don't know they are looking to do um, basically a season based on the book. One season per book. So it would follow, like the first season would follow the complete first book, etc. And that seems to be getting really good reviews from critics and stuff for the Percy Jackson series. My thoughts are kind of like, the last Harry Potter movie came out in 2011, which is a bit over like yeah. 10 years ago. But I just feel like we're in this day and age where instead of creating new content, we're just rebooting or remaking old content. And as someone who works in like, entertainment and like the industry i'm kind of sick of it like i'd rather work on things that are new i love harry potter obviously it's a great story and it was told well and the movies are great but yes there are things about the movies that are terrible and could have been done better but it feels too soon it feels too soon it's too soon you know like we're not repulsed when we look at like 
the CGI's of the original films. It's not too dated. And because the movies are set sort of in a, not like in a modern times, like the decor and the style of it and the language of it doesn't feel old because it still feels the same age it was supposed to have felt, you know? Yeah. So I feel like that's like, it's okay and it's good. And I worry like if they're doing one season per book, the first three seasons are going to not have a lot happen. Like we're going to have to have a lot of original content because there isn't enough canon. I mean, I don't know how closely they'll do that, but it seems like that's kind of the format they were going to do. Yeah. Is that they want to do it as a TV show and it, it likely would be something similar to that. That to me, there's not enough content in the first book for a full season of, I mean, if it's a four episode season, maybe, but if it's going to be like a eight episode season or something, I don't know if the first book has enough content for that. It's a very short book. Yeah. And on top of it, if they're going to bring on the author as a producer or a writer, I haven't liked anything the author has done since Harry Potter and like maybe like her like Fantastic Beasts book or like whatever Tales of Beetle the Bard like I have not appreciated any of her other writing so like while I love the Harry Potter books and they're beautifully you know they're they're great her story is great well I don't think they'd actually get her as a screenwriter because I actually had a point about this that I'm wondering if Warner Brothers is kind of wanting to really option the show quickly like they, they seem to really be pushing for it because Fantastic Beasts hasn't done well like there are supposed to be five movies in that that franchise, and there we have no idea if they're actually going to do the fourth movie. And it's very obvious from I have only watched the first one, as just to say, but I know I've heard, seen like the reviews for the last two have been not great. And one of the biggest things is that she's the scriptwriter or the screenwriter for that show. Like she works with another screenwriter, but it's majorly her doing the screenwriting. That she's the main screenwriter, and obviously you can be a writer, but writing for screen for movies and TV is completely different. Yeah, I kind of feel like when it comes to the Harry Potter author, she had one really awesome story to tell. And maybe she'd been playing it in her mind or maybe she, it just showed up. But like she had one really good story to tell and she did a really great job telling it. But I don't like any of the other stories she seems to have to tell or want to tell. Like I don't enjoy them. I don't like them. And so I wouldn't want her to have any writing power on this show because I feel like she wouldn't... I would I don't care what she has to say. I don't seem to I don't really like what she has to say anymore. I, I liked what she had to say in Harry Potter. Yeah. And I also feel like Warner Brothers is becoming aware of her political beliefs and the negative feedback that it's drawing from the core Harry Potter fan base. And I feel like they'd have to walk a fine line because to me at this point you can't not address it if you're gonna keep coming out with Harry Potter content. Yeah, it just it feels like a money thing because Harry Potter is a moneymaker and they know that and that's basically their only big IP. I I think is Harry Potter. As far as I know, like I don't know anything else that they're doing that's like new or any other big IPs they have besides Harry Potter. So they're just really trying to find something Harry Potter that they can do that will actually make money because Fantastic Beasts isn't doing well. I don't know if they're gonna redo it. And and yeah, but I just think it's gonna be a, I think a deal breaker for a lot of people. Like I feel like the special everyone watched it because it was more of a retrospective and it focused more on the cast of the movies and the actual author. And it wasn't like new Harry Potter content. It was new like it was behind the scenes yeah it was behind the scenes and to reflect on just like you know the entire film franchise but i feel like this absolutely new i feel that's a deal breaker for a lot of people mm-hmm. but i think in one of the articles i'll link below there was some people are saying that like with her views and what she's been putting out online that they don't feel comfortable being able to give her money or yeah and i 100 percent understand that or support her in new endeavors and i i get that and that's probably going to be my reasoning i don't i don't really have an interest in harry potter like new harry potter stuff because of the way she's been online and just like you know super disrespectful 
respectful to tons of communities, including the, the trans community, but also the fact that like, I just think it's too soon and I'm just, I'd rather have new stuff, but I do feel kind of sad because five or six years ago, I would have been all over this super excited. Yeah. I've talked a lot about how I love to have an animated Harry Potter series just because I always felt like, like it could have captured like the magic and whimsy a lot more than like practical effects that we have in like the movies and I also feel like it would have helped a lot of um the problems I had in the movies with the actors like aging up too quickly because in animation like with voice actors you can just recast people once they kind of reach a certain point and I think it also could have been fun because they could have brought back some of the original cast to voice like just like small characters as just like a little like throwback to like the original but I think for me if they were ever going to do an animated series I wouldn't want modern animation like I you've probably never seen them as non-atolkanist but the Lord of the Rings movies exist as animated movies, really, really old, old style animation. And they're like short children's movies. And I'm like, if they did that with the Harry Potters, that would be really cute and enjoyable because like they can't really take out a lot more content than was taken out of the books for the actual movies because they could you, like, so it would basically follow a similar thing as the movies, but it would be like old timey animation. I feel like that would be really cute and fun for me, but also I don't want to support the author. But like the idea of they're remaking the Harry Potter story live action, it's just like, it's kind of gross to me. Like, yeah. I'm like, no, like me as a person who read the Half-Blood Prince and it's like my favorite of the Harry Potter books and that's my least favorite Harry Potter movie, doesn't want it. Knowing how important things like Hepzibah Smith are to the overall storyline and that she was never included in the movies, I still don't want it. I'm like, no, it's only going to make it worse. It's the same way I feel about like they're thinking of doing a Lord of the Rings TV show, not not the Rings of Power, but Lord of the Rings TV show or movie. And I'm like, no, the one we have is good. Everyone likes it. No one has any complaints. You're just going to fail to meet the expectations you set. Yeah, it's the, I think that's the thing that people don't realize that they want to make money and do like things with big fandoms. That's like a built in audience. But then there's also the fact that like if your audience is not like it, like that's just a huge just waste of time for everyone involved. You have to keep up with their standards. I think they should take because clearly we have like there's a fandom of people who has a desire for like this type of wizarding content, you know, magical creatures, wizards, witches, friendship, like the actual core principles of Harry Potter are easy to create. And if you find a good writer they could make a new magic series that is not in the harry potter world does not follow the harry potter world's rules but equally appeals to the audience of harry potter and they could make a huge step forward by hiring really progressive writers for those of us who are feeling disappointed in the writer they could make a huge step forward by saying this is a story about wizards and witches not harry potter yeah i feel like warner brothers is just, they're just finding the line too much because they still want to do stuff with jk rowling they don't want to offend her but they it's it's like they they won't outwardly say anything bad about her, but they're obviously suffering with like this just really bad PR right now. And that's another thing I was thinking about. Like if they do the Harry po- like Harry Potter was a thing of its time. Like it's not progressive or diverse really. There's a lot of racial undertones as we've like discussed. And I just don't know if they if they would be able to change things with her. Like I know Percy Jackson did a pretty diverse casting. I don't know if she'd go with that or not. Like I know she was really big about. Hermione being black and the cursed child and stuff, but like I just, there's there's obviously things that she doesn't agree with, and I I just feel like with this day and age, like it would just really stand out how whitewashed it'll probably be, and just very like the Harry Potter books in general are very whitewashed, and like you just kind of accept that like it's part of its time, it's not diverse, like it is what it is, but I just don't know if they'd be able to adapt it, especially with her on the project, and I'll- yeah, I think she would hold anything that the fandom would want 
from that world that we haven't already gotten from that world, the author would not stand for, I think is pretty... Again, though, I just, I think it's so weird that people feel the need to jump on existing IPs like this. Like, we know what the core fundamentals of Harry Potter are. It's pretty straightforward. Magic school, friendship. Yeah, it's all about the money. Making a brand new IP is just a lot of, like, gambling. And big studios like Warner Brothers, they don't want to risk money. They don't want a sure thing. But the thing is, like, I don't think it's going to be a sure thing with this. Because I feel like the fandom's completely changed when the original Harry Potter stuff came out. Yeah, I feel like... It feels a lot, I think we said it in our first episode, but it feels a lot like the fans have taken it back a bit. Like, we've, we're like, thank you for giving us this thing. We love it, but it's ours now. Yeah, we don't want you messing with it. And like, no, it feels like, stop touching it. You gave it to us. And like, she released canon. That's canon. We can't change what happened in those books. We can't say, actually, Harry had a pet dog the whole time who came to Hogwarts. Like, we can't, we can't change what happened in the canon texts. But she can't anymore either like they've been out for so long stop touching it i do feel like the best thing about being in the harry potter fandom was how like just inventive everyone was and like everyone has like their own kind of ideas about certain characters or how things work especially that take place after the series and i just feel like touching it now it's just like everyone has their own kind of version of harry potter in their mind and i like that everyone has completely different interpretations of the characters and everything and I just feel like messing with more is just like, it's just kind of ruining the effect. It's kind of like with like the Marauders era, people have very established canon for that. Mm -hmm. Even with like the little tickle I have to, to see what goes on in the Marauders era to me, which it would be the most exciting era to know something about, but like, yeah, I know. I think that we talked about that in our old episode too. Like I wouldn't get what I want from it. And I know that is like, I think we could sit down you and I and each tell each other for like three hours, what do we picture and envision and what our own personal headcanon is for that era. And ours would be completely different. And if they made the one you want, I would not like it and I would be unhappy. And if they made the one I want, you would be really unhappy. And like, we could both enjoy and appreciate each other's us telling each other. But if someone tried to take either of ours and say it was canon, people would not be happy. And I think that's everything it is from this point on. Yeah, I feel like the Marauders is definitely something that was invented by the fans for the fans because people were interested in it. And I think that no matter what came out of it, I don't think anyone would be happy with it because everyone's interprets the Marauders very differently because they're only mentioned for a very small point in the book, especially James and Lily. So everyone interprets their characters differently and no one will be happy with like what came up with that. So I guarantee they'd try and like good guy wash James when he's complicated and kind of an asshole, (laughs) you know, and I'd be so mad. Yeah, but I think our consensus is that we're probably not gonna watch any Harry Potter movie tv shows that come out i could see myself reading reviews on it online yeah i'll see well we'll see how it goes i mean i ate my words <laughs> when we we did an episode about the 20 anniversary special and i was like i'm not watching it i don't care about that and then i i actually watched it and liked it a lot so <laughs> and i bullied shay to watch it so <laughs> i'd be happier disliking it at this point than liking it like i feel like if the creator made something and i liked it i would there's a part of me that like I'm too mad at her. Like, I don't, I I just want to dislike it so I can talk about how shitty it is. 
<laughs> yeah, right now there's not really a lot of details. It's just that the fact that they're working on getting it like ready to like maybe enter development and everything right now. So I guess if anything more comes out within the next few years, we can talk about it. But as we said, like, I don't know if it's really like the right time or place for a Harry Potter TV show, especially when it's gonna basically going to redo the entire series. That seems like a lot mm-hmm. right now. So I guess we'll, we'll see how it goes. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to jump into chapter five of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Dementor. Ooh. Yeah, and if you, you like this episode, make sure you're subscribed to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever podcast app you use. And you can comment on any thoughts you have about this episode or future or previous episodes on social media at Potter Revisited, or you can email us at PotterRevisitedPodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back. Actually, I will, when they listen to this, I will be in Florida seeing Taylor Swift, so. And I won't be because Tori's a bad person. Yep, that's the consensus of this episode. I'm a bad person. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.